0: But yeah, if you turn with me to First John, so this is a, the final one that we'll do, at least in this series on First John. <laughs> but even after kind of going back through it this afternoon, I'm like, well, man, there's we we no way near mind the depths that is in this book, and and that's the way it was uh, with any Bible book. You go through it, and as your understanding grows, you, you you see more, you understand it more completely, and and you go back, and you can pull out new things, but uh, we're just kind of going to go over just some, as I said this morning, like a wide-angle view, some some things that are in here that you can't really catch as you're going through at a verse at a time, but but as we pull back, uh, we can look at a few. And like I said, it's going to be kind of fast, but at least want to whet your appetite to it, make you aware of the things that are here that you can go back and then research it on your own as well. <clears throat> That's a lost sevens. And John's known for that. The Bible's known for that. You know, it's the heptatic structure, completeness. That's just kind of one of God's fingerprints, I think, that is on the Word. And I was even thinking, driving from home to here, and I was like, did John do it on purpose? It was, I don't know they he did. I, I, I think maybe he's moved by the Spirit, but I don't know. I, I make an outline before I get up and speak, so maybe he did. You know, maybe is isn't that way. Uh, maybe after his encounter, because um, as I've studied John a lot in the last few months, Um, there's a a group that holds that he wrote, because I always think, oh, he wrote the Gospel of John. Then he wrote these letters, you know, maybe later in life. And he had Revelation there in the middle. But many think he had the Revelation experience first, And then after all his action and his life of action is done as he settles down, that then he began his writing and he wrote the book of John after Revelation. Um, So maybe then, yeah, after seeing everything that he saw in in heaven, maybe he didn't. I'll show seven things like this and I'll prove seven things this way and I'll pick out these seven here. So maybe, but we have many that are here and I said, we we can't even list all the sevens that are in Revelation. Uh, And I don't know that anybody claims to list all the sevens there in the gospel of John and I don't by any means, say that these are all the sevens that are in the Gospel of John, or this uh, 1 John. But so we'll look at some. first seven I want to look at are seven reasons why he wrote this book. He gave us seven reasons why he wrote it. Uh, reason number one is in chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Uh, so chapter 1, verse 3 says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you may also have fellowship with us, and truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Uh, he says He wants you, I've seen these things. I understand it. You know, I, I have it. Now, there's a kind of responsibility when you have the truth and you understand the truth to, to share the truth. You know, it's like the parable of the talents. You've given it to you. He's given you this gift. You have understanding where others don't see and understand where, where to pass it on. He goes, I want to declare it to you. We're to declare the gospel. So he, I, want to do, I want to do this. Why? So that you'll have fellowship with the Father. So you'll have fellowship with Jesus Christ. So you can have salvation like anyone else. That's why we want to tell somebody, right? So that they'll have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They'll have salvation. And he says that your joy may be full. So that you can have a joyful life. Man, this is what people say they're looking for. This is what people say they want in life. You know, that their joy may be full. That they'll have a happy life. You know, happy life. We would like that. Joy. And our uttermost it's because we have joy not only in this world, but joy in the world to come. Life everlasting. There's true joy. Um, uh, Levi went with me to um, help get my boat out of the water. Something I should have did when it was warm. Uh, but, uh, so, hey, my new boat owner. I don't know. I was like, hey, we can do it later. So we, we get out there. Uh, of course they'd lowered the lake that made it harder to get it onto the <laughs> off the dock and on, onto the trailer and everything else so that 's the way we butlers do it the hard way. Um, but, so we were paddling over in our kayaks to get to it because i'd dock it on somebody 's house i don 't know, but you know she gave us permission, and uh, somebody three lanes work and so i don 't want to run through her yard so we 've always kayaked over and got in and uh, um, i 've always had plugs in my kayak where i wouldn 't get wet they weren 't in there yesterday, so I got wet, <laughs> and so we 're sitting up on it and doing whatever and Levi and I daydream a lot, and we're kind of like, man, it'd be nice to go down and, and take the river, and the river over to Ohio, or get down to Ohio, and then from Ohio over to Mississippi, Mississippi, down to the Gulf, you know, that people do that, you know, they take these little boats, and they're able to go and do that, I'm like, man, that'd be an adventure, I wish we had a month to do that, I wish we had time off to do that, I wish we didn't have the constraints of time to be able to sit down and, and have a, a Huck Finn, Tom Sawyer, kind of trip that way, and just see what's going down the coastline, and I'm like, think that's what's part of heaven is you know that that we'll have that no constraint of that time that we'll be able to uh, we have all the time in the world that we can just be apart and enjoy it and 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 enjoy each other as you enjoy that and you know whoever you're traveling with whatever adventure we're on and and not have that constraint and just to have joy you know that 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 peace that happiness and and knowing that 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 is a possibility and I think it's a very real possibility in the future it gives me a joy now it's like I don't have time now. When we haven't had time to do that, we had many plans that we didn't get to, that we wanted to do this summer. But I'm like, I don't feel like I'm robbed. I don't feel like I've got to stop. I've got to sell everything. I got to go do this because I know we have eternity. I know I have eternity. I know I have Jesus Christ. Not because I deserve it, because I don't deserve it. Because Christ was good to me, and that gives me a joy. It's like I'll have that time. You know, I'll have that time. I've often thought about you know um, going out and doing things and roughhousing. You know, with. All of us at the prime of our life, you know, me and my sons and with my dad and with my brothers, we're all out there at the prime of our life having fun, we're going to be a mean group up there terrorizing heaven, I, I don't know, but at least, at least just, I look forward to that, you know, where we're in that, and be able to have the energy and the effort and, and not have to, well, we've got to be home by five, you know, I've got go to I gotta get up in the morning, i only got two weeks vacation, no, to, to be able to explore and expand and, and, and to please the Lord that way, that gives me joy, and knowing that I have life everlasting And he has given us this confidence in this to know that you have salvation, to know that you're going to have eternity, to know that you're going to serve him, and our joy may be full. Man, that's a good reason. That's a good reason to read this book. Reason number two is in chapter 2, verse 1, says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that you may sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He says, I'm writing this book to you so that you sin not. to encourage us not to sin. Um so that we can have more joy, so that we don't have a life that is hindered and 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 grief-stricken and, grief stricken and um, tragedy and all these things going through. He, sin not. You know, purge yourself. And we'll see that he builds on that through the other things we look at. I think I can add to later, but I'll look to the third reason. that's in chapter 2, verse 13. He says, I write unto you fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you little children because you have known the Father. Uh, so that's that's verse 13. It's in a fray, it's in a, in a passage here. I'm going to stop with that one. First, he says, I write to the fathers. That's the older, uh, the older ones in the, in the faith. You know, it's not just fathers, fathers and mothers. He says, He encourages you, I write so that you remember that you've known him from the beginning. Remember him whom you've known from the beginning. Young men, that's the ones who aren't new believers, but are in the middle there. He says, I want you to remember you've overcome the wicked one. You have victory. You have victory in him through what you've been doing. Little children, he says, I encourage you to know the Father. And then he goes on, verse 14. He says, I've written unto you fathers because you have known him. That is from the beginning. I've written unto you young men because you are strong. And the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. So he lists back through two of them. He goes to the father again and to the young men. And he tells the fathers the same thing. Remember, you've known him from the beginning. He just reiterates it. God doesn't change. I think he's what he's reminding us. Young men. he adds to it. You are strong and in the word. Strong in the word. He wants us to be, he wants us to have confidence in the word, to know the word. You are strong and the word of God abides in you. I want you to, you're the one who has life, you know, that's not like the older ones you can't do anything anymore but you're the ones, the vital part. Be strong, do it. Know that God is for you. Who can be against you? And the word abides in you. You, have, hide God's word in your heart that you might not sin against Him. Know God's plan. Know what God has you to do, and go out to do it. He said, "You've overcome the wicked. You've already done it. You know, victory is yours. You know, through salvation." And then verse fifteen, he says, "Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For um, the love of the world is the lust uh, for well, yeah, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world." And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doth the will of God abides forever. And so uh, he, he wants us to know that. I think I might have went too far. But uh, he, he wants us to, to, to know these things. So he's written us. That, and if I was to summarize it, he writes it so the little children will learn to know the Father, know Him, know whom who you believe, know whom who you worship, know whom that the Him whom the Bible talks about. Young men, you've overcome the wicked one. You know you've you've won this battle in salvation. You be strong in the Word. He tells us that. And Father, stay with Him whom you you have known, the older ones in the faith. Stay with Him. Stay stay faithful. The one whom you've known from the beginning, and know that the Father doesn't change. And so they're all kind of the same, encouraging Him. Focus on him, stay with him, be strong in the word, be active for him, do something. So he's calling us, and he's written this book so that we have confidence and so that we have a call to action. Reason number uh, five, so that's probably like two reasons there, I I had in those two verses, reasons three and four. Reason number five is um, chapter two, verse 21. It says, I have not written you, or yeah, I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it and that no lies of the truth. He says, I've written to you because you know the truth. And I want you to avoid a lie, to realize that there's a battle, to realize that there's a fight for the truth. Verse 22, who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ, he is an antichrist, and he denieth the Father and the Son. Uh, he says, so don't be denying. You know that If you deny Jesus, you're an antichrist. Verse 23, whosoever denieth the Son, the same uh, hath not the Father, but he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father. And so he wants us to... to you know, To not be in denial in verse 24. Let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you. You shall also continue um, in the Son and in the Father. He wants us to stay true to the basics. uh, To stay with the founding doctrines. Who God is, who Jesus is, what salvation is, how, why are you going to heaven? What is it that you're trusting in? And not to be allured and not to be tempted and not to let false doctors come in and rob you of this joy that we can have in knowing that Jesus Christ has saved us. Uh, the sixth reasons, chapter two, verse 26, he says, these things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. And he wants to warn us for that. He says, you have to watch out. There's going to be those who try to pull you away. There's an enemy to try to seduce you off the path. Um, On the heels of Pilgrim's Progress, you remember there was a villain who disguised himself as an angel of light and tried to draw him away, take him away from the celestial city. We need to be on guard. It's just not going to be easy peasy cakewalk. We we have changed armies, we've changed our loyalty from one king to another, and now we are on a battlefield, and he's going to try to seduce us, try to get us to fall, try to get us to fail. Why do big men fall, and why do big men fail? Satan loves to create chaos. He loves to pull pastors down. He loves to pull families down. He loves to tear families apart. He loves to destroy families any way that he can. And he warns us as believers, and he's writing this to us, is that those in the family business, the more that we are closer to him, the more that we are deeper in the family, rooted in the family, wanting to live for the family, he's going to try to seduce you. Be on guard. Be on watch. We need to be a true, vigilant soldier. So watch out for those that seduce you. And then the seventh reasons, chapter 5. Verse 13, I think you've heard that verse a few times. He says he's written these things so that we know. Verse 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God, so that you know that you have everlasting life, so that we have a confidence in our salvation. A confidence, as we go through these reasons, you have a confidence in your salvation, you have a confidence in his word, you have a confidence in his Son, we have a confidence that we are to stay loyal to Him, to be on guard and not to be seduced, that we are to stay in the truth, we're not to err and change from Scripture, and that we are to sin not. And if we do those things, we'll have a joy that is full. If we stay loyal, if we take the things and the reasons why He's written this, we'll have, we'll have joy, a happy life, happy eternity, uh, with not much to confess, pleasing the Father. And so He's got seven reasons why He wrote this book. Another seven that He lists in here, turned too far, or seven contrasts. He uses seven times he goes through and he gives us contrast. And contrasts are there to help us see more clearly. I just went to the eye doctor last week. I was supposed to go for my checkup yesterday. Oops. Uh, (laughs) So I spaced it. But, uh, uh, you know, and we all sit there, and if you've gone to the eye doctor, better, worse. Better, or he gives you a contrast. I'm like, oh yeah, way worse. Yeah, that's way better. And some of them uh, about the same. you know, so, but, but, yeah, but he gives you a contrast. you know, He's like, narrowing it down. He's like, okay, I know how it goes. Here he is going to do that. He's going to be flipping. Here's one. Here's the other. Which one seems right? This one seemed good. This one seemed bad. Does this one seem better? This one seemed worse. Which one would you choose? This one or that one? So he's going to give us seven contrasts. And uh, as he's up close in our face, looking at us like this, we get to choose which which one are we going to pick. And so he's putting that for us. And again, he's writing it's a family book. He's writing it to those believers in the faith. And he's trying to make it clear to us. Here it is from God's viewpoint. Let's stray from this. and Let's, cle- let's choose what is the clearly and the obvious choice. Um, so the first contrast is um, in chapter 1, verse 5. He says, um, These, uh, This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is light. Uh, that's not new to John. He... <laughs> He's used it before, he used it in the gospel. Um, He's light, no darkness at all. Matter of fact, there's not even a shadow of turning, James tells us. He doesn't even cast a shadow because he's pure light. Think about being in the light. We talk about that like, oh, I'm enlightened. You know, we have we have sight. We have understanding. We can see clearly. Um, if you're in the light, you do see clearly. Uh, the worse my vision gets, especially my close-up, the better the light is, the better I can see. Um, Elaine and I, we find the trouble now. It's like, oh, let's go to Cheesecake Factory. That sounds great. You know, I'm going to sit next to somebody I don't know. And <laughs> they jam you in there all next to somebody, you know. <laughs> so you're sitting there and it's like, I hope they're young because I can't read this menu because there's dim lighting in here and I can't see it. I forgot my glasses. So we're over there with our cell phone, take a picture of the menu, enlarged it. Oh, there's one. <laughs> so thank God, thank God for that. You know, so it's like, man, I need light to be able to see. There's a trick for you, Mom. Yeah. But, already done. already done. <laughs> a, but, you know, light, you know, you can see clearly. It, it helps you to know, have the cleanest of light. It's, a, it's You're in the open. If you're in the light, if you're in the open field, you, you know you can see what's around because you're, you're in the light and you can see things around you. At, at night and in the dark, it's like, um, last night I was at Mom and Dad's. I went to take something outside. I'm like, I used to know what was in the driveway. Where's my cell phone? I need to light this up. I don't want to trip and fall over something. At my house, I can walk around a little bit better. You know, but if we see, you know, i was to worried about it. Can, I'm in the light. I can see what's out there. I can avoid pitfalls and things I might trip over and things I don't want to walk into. <clears throat> um, if you're in the light, you're exposed. You're clearly seen. You can see clearly, but you're also clearly seen. And God's like, "That's okay." And we should be in that kind of walk with Him, right? Clearly see me, Lord. I'm hiding nothing f- from you. See me as much as I want to see you. I want to be in the light. I want to be exposed. I want to. Uh, we sing one song about dancing in the light. I want to. I want to dance and be able to be in it and 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 know that I'm in you and you and you can see me. That sounds great. And unafraid. I'm in the light. If you're in the light, it's like, oh, you have make it. Um, I forget which park it is down south, a tunnel cave. And you go about halfway through and we went like, oh, we don't need a flashlight. You know, I can see. And you get about halfway through and no, I can't see either spot. And then you're making your way and we're finally able to see out the other side. And then the closer you get to the end, oh, the better I can see and, and walk and get out. Man, we're, we're unafraid. And then we can move quickly and, and, and assuredly because we're in the light. That's who God is. That's how God is. Contrast that with the other side. Darkness, chapter 2, verse 11. So it's a contrast between light and darkness. Chapter two, verse eleven says, "But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness had blinded his eyes." It's the opposite of God. God is in the light, exposed, clear, and see nothing hidden. And then we have this darkness. And in that darkness, it's the opposite of God in other ways too. It's hate. You know, he hates his brother. He who hateth his brother is in darkness. God does not dwell in that region. God is holy. He is just. He is righteous. Um, yeah, I did a message, uh, Lord's Locker, not that long ago on the most terrifying thing is God's goodness. You know, we always think that oh, God's good. He'll just judge me and he'll, and he'll forget everything. No, God is good. He can't be perverted. He can't do wrong. He has to do what is right. A good judge does not say, "Eh, okay, I'll let you go. No, a good judge has to be righteous. He has to be holy. He has to hold to the law. And he has to convict and he has to condemn where badness has been there. You know, when when violence has come or or when violence is needed, he's there, he's good. So that is a terrifying thing because we don't understand how good good is. It says, here, this guy, he he hates his brother. God's good though. He has no knowledge. He's in dark. He walketh in darkness. He doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know what direction he's going. He doesn't know if he's going the right way or not. He doesn't know if he's in perilous danger or not. Even Jesus tells about what? You know, blind leading the blind. They're going to lead each other to a ditch. You know, they're going to fall down in there, and there's no one to help get them out. That's, there's no knowledge. They're lost. Uh, he walketh in darkness, and he knoweth not where he goes. He lost. They're just guessing. They're just wandering around. That's the world today, right? They're lost. They're guessing. Well, I hope this works out, or I hope that pans out, I I think this is the way we're supposed to go, and I don't know. This is what everybody else is doing, and I'll just do what they're doing. They're lost. So we're not to follow them. We're not to be tempted to follow them. We're not to be lured by what they're doing, because they're lost. They're going to live a lost life. It says also that they are... He's blinded their eyes. He's blinded his eyes. So not that they're lost and in the darkness, but they're blind and unseen anyway. They don't see. They can't see. They have no grasp of what we're trying to talk about. It. And I think all of us in here have experienced that in trying to witness to somebody who's blind and who is lost and who is in darkness. And we can't even get them to see the light. And because we know if there's a glimmer, if they ever see that spark, if there's ever that allure, that well, that might draw them to it and draw them out. And so we hope for that. And so here, John gives us a contrast in the first two chapters. You want to choose the light or you want to choose darkness? Which would you choose? And John's encouraging us to choose the light and pursue the light and go the way of the light. And if you find yourself in darkness, flee that darkness and run to the light. And so he's trying to encourage us, as in the family. To know whatever you're doing, it's in the light. It's open. It's above board. No closed doors. No, no this whatever. Yeah, you know, we do things openly, honestly, and in the light of day, saying that there is no secret, hidden thing in us. You know, nothing to be exposed. And so, uh, we're to be in the light. We're to be open. We're to be honest. We're to be above reproach in that way. Another contrast is between the Father and the world. Um, chapter two, and verse twelve it says. Um, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you uh, for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. And I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. So we should know the Father. We are with him. matter of fact, it goes on. Let's go on down to verse... uh, 17 verse 14, I have written unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men because you are strong and the word of God abideth in you and you have overcome the wicked. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever." So which do we choose in this? Do we want to choose the Father or the world? Um, In the Father, our sins are forgiven. We have a relationship with Him. He is our Father. We are the Son. And the Father has the best interest of the Son in His mind. He wants to encourage you. He wants to give you inheritance. (coughs) He wants to trust you with more and more responsibility to serve Him. He wants that. And so He guides and protects. And sometimes He disciplines to bring us into that right relationship with Him so that we learn We've overcome the wicked, as we've read before and we were talking about the reasons why he wrote it. You've overcome the wicked. You have victory with the Father. You have victory in him. He's the one who's given us the victory. You're strong, as we talked about, between the father and the young men and the young children. We abide in God's word, and we abide in him, we abide with him forever. Versus the world, which is lust. It's all selfish. Lust of the eyes. What do you want to look at? What do you want to see? What do you want to please you? in that way. The lust of the flesh. When you see it, now you want it. Please your flesh. Give your flesh what it wants, whether it be food, whether it be sexual things, whether it be things in your mind, whatever. You don't hold anything back. I'm going to go where the world says and the world appeals to these things. to The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Be who you are. Do what you want to do. Be proud in who you are and what you are doing. Don't let anybody say what you are doing wrong. Matter of fact, be proud of it. It's kind of not ironic, but God tells us up front that their, their rally cry will be that they are proud, right? And that's what we see today. You know, the dark things that used to be hidden in the shadows, they brought it out, and we're out of the closet, and now we are proud. We are proud of that we are in our sin. He says that those are dying. Those are passing away. It's the way of death. And so John puts it in that light. Which would you choose? Would you choose the Father, who is light and life? Or would you choose the world, which is death? And so he wants us to know, who are you living for, the world or the Father? You're going to seek to please the Father, or you're going to seek to please a hard, uncaring, selfish world. So he's trying to make the choices obvious for us. The third contrast is between Christ and Antichrist. So chapter 2, verse 18. Little children, it is the last time, as you have heard, uh, that Antichrist shall come even now. Are there many Antichrist? whereby we know that it is the last time? They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest, that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, ye know all things. I have written unto you because ye know not the truth, because ye know it. And that you, no know lie is of the truth. I think I read that one wrong. Uh, verse 22. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father. Let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you shall also continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he promised us, even life eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the... Anointing which ye have received from of him abideth in you. You need not any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, even as it had taught you, you shall abide in. Now, little children, abide in him, that when you shall appear you may have confidence and not ashamed before him at his coming. He says, I want you to have this confidence. I want you to be in him, I want you to choose Christ not Antichrist. I want you to serve him. Uh, you have to watch out for false brethren, the ones that said they started from us, and then they've twisted it and they've per- perverted it. These Gnostics said they knew Christ, and they were telling a false gospel. It's like, well, he wasn't real. He, wasn't, he was just a spirit. And John's like, no, I was there. He's a real man in a real world. And so they were telling a lie. He said, so know the truth, and you won't be following after this false, lying Antichrist. Uh, he says they're going to try to seduce you. They're going to try to pull you away. But he said he shall come. And he says, and you can have confidence and be not ashamed and be righteous and serve him. So choose Christ and serve him and be confident. Is what he's trying to build us in. Uh, the fourth things is God, uh, good works versus evil works. Um, that's pretty much all of chapter 3, so I'm not going to read that. But it's, um, I'll read a little excerpt. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 says, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of a truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence towards God. And so he's just, through it, telling us, what, who are you and what are you doing? Are you doing the good works or are you choosing evil works? Which one do you want to serve? And so all chapter 3 is pretty much about that. And he's trying to get us to, to choose to do the good works and not the evil work. Uh, the fifth contrast. As the Holy Spirit versus air, that's chapter 4, <clears throat> verse 1. And he's trying to tell us to trust the Holy Spirit and to expose the air. So verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God, and this is the Spirit of Antichrist. Wherefore ye have heard that uh, it shall come, and even now already is in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcame them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. Ye are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us, and he that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We want to tr- choose the spirit of truth, the one that aligns with scripture, the one that aligns with God, the one that aligns with everything from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the types, the shadows, the patterns. We want to stay within that model and not go with the spirit of error when we say, well, it's changed, it's new, it's a beginning, it's something different. We are to trust the spirit. He will confide with our spirit that this is truth or that is wrong and to stay away from. So we want to stay with that. So he gives us the contrast there. Um, the sixth contrast is uh, love versus uh, pious pretense. And it's basically, I um, say so we don't have time to go through them all, but uh, um, it's genuine love for other Christians. Do you have a genuine love or do you have a pious pretense? And so pretty much chapter 4 covers all that. What's your love? Are you genuine? Are you real? Or is it something that is fake? And he says, choose the genuine. Know the genuine. We know when it's genuine. right? We know when someone cares or someone's just asking. And he says, choose that. And the seventh contrast is the God-born versus others. And we want to choose to be the God-born. We want to be the God-born one. So that's chapter 5, pretty much chapter 5, which uh, pretty much tells us that we want to keep his commandments. The God-born keep his commandments. Uh, His commandments are seen as reasonable, verse 3. It's not grievous. It's like, oh, that makes sense. God is holy, that he would want me to be holy. He'd want me to live as holy. And this is not grievous for me to do his commandments. As a matter of fact, it makes sense. Matter of fact, we are grieved when we break his commandments, right? We, we know or speak the truth. We know we're supposed to be honest. We know we're supposed to love our parents. We know we're supposed to be in God's house. We know these things, and it troubles us when we don't do it, and we don't see it as grievous. We've seen it as, man, that's what I should be doing. Woe is me. It's grievous on me when I don't do it, because that shows there's a change that we are the God-born. We are, we are not like the world. Um, we are to overcome the world. We're the overcomers not to be the one who, is, who are overcome by the world or overcome by sin. We have victory through Jesus Christ. It's not what we have. And we are in him. We have victory. So we want to be the overcomers. We, over, we have overcome the world. We are not overcome by sin. And then our spirit will bear witness to us. And our spirit bears with us, our spirit. And it gives us confidence. And he'll point out things to us. As a matter of fact, things in John to say, Do you see this fruit? Do you see this in you? Do you see how you've changed? And every once in a while, it's good for us to look back and kind of in Hills of Pilgrim Progress, look back and say, remember that time I was in Doubting Castle and the victory that I had because I clung to the promises of God and that we had there and like, oh, how I've grown from that and the, the tears we weep as we see others go down that road and we wish that we could impart that knowledge to them. You know, but we have confidence. Look what I used to do. Look what I used to listen to. And God, thank you for growing me. And every once in a while, you know, it's good to do that when you feel like, God, I feel like I'm stagnated. Am I doing anything? Am I growing? Look back where we have been to see that we're, where we've come. And see that sometimes it's great great giant leaps and sometimes it's baby steps. But to have that consistency in pursuing him, uh, thats uh, I sympathize with Paul. Uh, when I read that passage about how he calls himself the chief of sinners, I understand that because the more, the more you read God's word, I know you know we're here, and the more you read it, the more you see it, the more you understand how unworthy we are, how holy he is. And the, the closer we get to him, the more we see the, the stark contrast that I, I don't, we don't think that we're pious and we're so much better than anybody else we see how much more dependent we are in his goodness and his holiness because the more the closer we get to him the more holy we see he is the more unholy we see that we are and the more we understand the good great gift we have through jesus christ um there's a movie the same company who did um, uh, i forget the broadcast that uh, we went and saw the genesis in 3d and we've seen other ones that broadcast that way they have one coming out this spring on the apostle paul that looks pretty interesting i've seen the trailer he's like uh uh, it's pretty interesting It's showing him, him maybe as a young man persecuting the church. And he talks about, he goes, this Jesus Christ who came to save sinners. And he says, of whom I am chief. And it's like, man, can you imagine the guilt that Paul carried that he persecuted the church, that he was there for the stoning of Stephen, that he had the letters to go and capture them. And then to understand what a great salvation it is and who Jesus Christ is, that the weight that he carried, I can understand the words that he puts that way. Um, but man, the God-born versus others, we're to have a confidence In that. That's why he's written this book so that we have a confidence and no longer be wishy-washy. Um, just a few more minutes. There's there are seven tests of genuineness in this book. Um that we'll hit this one real quick. Look at go back to chapter one. Of genuineness. If you are a genuine Christian, here are seven tests. Uh chapter one, verse six. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Our lifestyle. What is your lifestyle? Do you have a lifestyle? That you can examine yourself, you know your heart. Do I seek to please him the more? Do I seek to have, do I have a fellowship with him? Is there a communion I have with him? Do I have a communication with him? Or am I lying to myself? Do I walk in darkness? Do I not walk in the light? And so he's trying to call us out to examine ourselves. Christian life is an examined life. Am I pleasing him? It's not like, I don't know, I guess we'll see how it turns out. No, am I doing what is right? Your lifestyle. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He said the closer and the more you grow in the word, the more you understand you are a sinner and the more you appreciate what Christ has done for you because you understand the great distance and the gap between him and his holiness and us and our sinfulness. And so uh, here's a genuineness here. Do you say that you have sinned? Do you understand it? Or do you see, deceive yourself? And you know, We're not some false, pious thing. Uh, verse 10 of chapter 1. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We've got sinless perfection. One day, one day we'll be glorified. Oh, what a day that will be when we don't have to battle sin anymore! Um, but we see us as He sees us as sinners in need of salvation. We're not defeated by it because we know that we have the Christian bar soap that we can confess and be cleansed. Uh, but uh, we see Him, uh, see ourselves as He sees us. Chapter two, verse four is the fourth test of genuineness: He that saith I know Him and keep not His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. Uh, where before we had to break the law because we were lawless. Now we can find ourselves to where, you know, I can't stop my tongue. I don't cuss. You know, I don't uh, do the things I used to. I try not, I can stop my mind from thinking down this road. I can turn it about face. I can, I can. Honor him on the Sabbath day. You know we can come on a Sunday night. You know after Thanksgiving when we're all tired, we just want to rest and, and lay in bed and, and be ready for yay for work next week. You know, but we, we, we but we're here. You know because it's changed. Us. we're able to keep his commandments and to honor the Sabbath day. That's a genuine test to see where we are. Verse six of chapter two is the fifth. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Do you see a comparison? I guess a um... I'm trying to look at the word. Out. Do we we see? Do you notice yourself trying to be like Christ? Trying to emulate Christ? Trying to, to live as Christ would live? That we find ourselves saying, "What would Christ do?" I want to be like Christ. Jesus would forgive them. Jesus was kind. Jesus was long suffering to me. I'll be long suffering toward them. I want to be like him. We try to mimic him. We want to imitate him, just like as long, young boys we imitated our fathers. We want to imitate our Savior, our hero. We want to be like him. Do you find yourself doing that? That's a good test of genuineness. Chapter 2, verse 9 says, He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. Do you have a genuine love for your brother? And it's talking about brotherly love as in the family, as our church family. I think this family. It means that. Do we love one another here in this building? I think so because he's going to build on that. You know, And we should have that. We should have a genuine care and concern for those around us. Yes, we have a concern for those on outside there we'll get to. But there should be a genuine care and concern for us that we know here. And then the last one, the seventh test, is in uh, is like that last one, but it's in chapter 4, verse 20. The seventh test of genuineness, chapter 4, verse 20 says, If any man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Uh, it says brother again, but I think it's even more, I think it's grander. I think it's Christianity in general. I think it's... Um, God's representation on earth, the brethren, the brothers and sisters in Christ... Uh, knowing that there are brothers and sisters in Ohio and Illinois and Kentucky and you know and all these places around the world that we know that there are brothers and sisters in Christ, we give them the benefit of the doubt if they say they are standing up for Christ. That we would love them, that we would pray for them, we would intercede on their behalf because they are in our family. And if we can't love the family that we can see, then how do we say we love the family and the saints that we've never seen and never met? Uh, how do we say we love God who is invisible and we can't see and and or we can't we don't love the visible representation? Um, it should be. <coughs> A reflection of a genuineness of a believer and of a church because we would love one another. We could pray for our fellowship in Bedford or in and uh, any other place that we could ever mention. I was just thinking of Jordan's work. <laughs> but we, we would pray for them as brothers and sisters in Christ and be encouraged for them and not like, I don't know, they're not like our church, they're not here. And what denomination are you? And we, we get to get down to, do you repent and trust in Christ? Do you believe in Him? Do you profess the name of Christ? Then I'm going to count you as a brother until I see otherwise, but I'm going to try to give you the benefit of the doubt and not like that you're not like us and you're not here and you're not there. And boy, I cast out in that. It's unab- Unattractive, it's unappealing, it is wrong, the Bible tells us here. You should have a love for the brethren, not a hmm, you're not where we are. What version do you use? What's your haircut? Do you wear dresses or not? It's like is there such a standard that is there that is unappealing where God says no, there should be a love that conquers all. I love them. I want them to preach the word. I want them to have good numbers. I want them to have success. We want them to reach out for Christ. You know, as we want them to pray for us, we are to pray for them. And that is a show of our genuineness because we love them and we love them in the diversity that they are. Yeah, we gather together in different groups because we have things that separate us in that way. But it doesn't mean I hate them. I love them and encourage them. I encourage Beach Grove Baptists over here for what they're doing. I encourage fellowship. They're doing work, Preach the word, brother. You know, Martinsville Baptist. You know, anybody in Franklin. Preach it. Go. It's like... The gospel needs to be, be given. We're to be praying for them and love them in that way. It's genuine. It's a test of our honesty and reality that we should be uh, identify and have marks of our genuineness of our believers, uh, our, our, that we are believing. Just a few minutes. The, there's seven birthmarks. I kind of did them a few weeks ago, so I'll just roughly mention them. Chapter 2, verse 29, uh, it says that we will do righteousness. That's a birthmark. You know, I kind of like uh, you know, to show that you are born again. Uh, The second one is chapter 3, verse 9, that we can't live in sin. We might sin, but we can't live in it. We don't abide in sin. We we fail, we falter, we got to get out of it, we got to get right. That's a birthmark that you're born again. Chapter 4, verse 7 is the third one, is that we love one another, just like we've been talking about, as a a birthmark that you're born again. Chapter 5, verse 1, we believe in the Messiah. We, We know that He is who He says He is. We believe Him, we live for Him, we trust Him. Uh, the fifth one's also in chapter five, verse one. We love all Christians. You know, we, we love the brethren. Uh, we love all that are begotten of Him. Again, we could preach that same thing from several verses in, in, in the John uh, chapter. The sixth one's chapter five, verse four. We've overcome the world. We're not overcome by it. We have Victor. We can say no to the latest trend. We can say no to whatever's going on. We can say no to what is there. We want to seek to please Him over anything else. We, and we have faith, and that verse talks about it. And the seventh birthmark is at chapter five, eighteen. We are protected. Look at that one, chapter five, verse eighteen. It says, "We know that whatsoever is born of God, or that whosoever is born of God, sinneth not, but he is begotten of God, and he keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not." We're protected. Uh, if we're writing, if we're living a life that is pleasing unto Him, we're seeking to please Him. We're avoiding sin. We're trying to live a life that is righteous. We don't have a pattern of sin in our life. We have a pattern of repelling sin. We avoid sin. We avoid sinful places. As a Matter of fact, and God says, "I'll even stop the wicked one from touching you." We know that it has to come through His hand first. Look at the Book of Job. Right? Have you considered my servant Job? You know, he he knew what he could be tested in, uh, but God says, "I can keep him. I can guard him. I can protect you from that." And so He promises that. And the last one I want to reference in the minute that I have left is that there's a list of six. There's a list of six in John and not seven. Seven is the number of completeness, like a week, you know, and then a new week begins and go that way. There are six liars that John talks about because a liar is never done. A liar is never complete. He always has one more lie to tell. And so, uh, and he, he lists all those. We'll just look at them real quickly. So, chapter 1, verse 6 says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. The second one is chapter 1, verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Again, you can see the contrary to God's word. Chapter 2, verse 4. He that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. There will be a change. Chapter 2, verse 22. Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist, that denieth the Father and the Son. We will cling to the only hope that we have, Jesus Christ. Chapter 4, verse 20. If any man say that I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, he can, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And so that genuine love that we would have there. And then chapter 5, verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath a witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believed not the record that God gave uh, of his Son. You want to call God a liar. You're doubting God, calling him a liar. We don't believe his word, we're calling him a liar. Do we trust his word? We need to trust his word or we're calling God a liar. Um, And that's a lot of what the compromised church does. Well, I don't know. Maybe scientifically. Or I don't know that that was that way. Maybe there's a scientific answer for that. Maybe there's a reasonable explanation. Maybe that's a legend. Maybe that's a story that's been gotten. This is a work of poetry. And it's just something to inspire us. Or they make excuses that are there. Are you calling God a liar? When God says in six days he created the earth, and on the seventh day he rested, do we say he's a liar? So we can't have theistic evolution. You know, we call God a liar if we if we buy that. And they think else, oh, there was no real, no, maybe it was a local flood. you call calling God a liar. If you're saying marriage isn't just a man and a woman, you call calling God a liar. If you're saying that Jonah, whether well, you wasn't swallowed by a fish, maybe it was something else, you call calling God a liar. Anything that you would deny where he ever says, you're calling God a liar. And God is, John is saying here, I don't think you want to do that. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't go up to your dad and call him a liar, would you? Right, you get the... Uh, Right hand of fellowship, right? <laughs> but you're going to get in trouble. You know, so we, we want to stay in truth. And he says here, he just calls it like it is. Don't you be calling God a liar. And so we should believe in him. So there's six liars. And so, like I said, there's, there's probably more in here. Um, for our time there, that's plenty. Just to know that this, I just love it. That, it's that, that you can read it at one level, you can take it at another level, and you can pull back and see other things that are in there to get more truth. And to know that the whole word is that way. It's almost holographic in that way, that you can turn and look at it and see it from all different angles and have more nuances and, and a clearer and, and a sharper understanding. Ooh, I look forward to the day when he teaches us. When we have time to, to be studied from his word and, and see what Christ shows us. But I appreciate you being here. appreciate your faithfulness as we've gone through this study. Uh, pray for me as we change, as we go for the Advent. And, uh, and when we pick our next book uh, after Christmas, so we go through it. But uh, I appreciate traveling through the word with you. I know that it makes it a fun journey. But uh,